Well, hi. Welcome to Waverley Cemetery, resting place of Sydney's famous and forgotten. Look around you, down the hill to the sandstone cliffs, waves of the blue Pacific breaking, birds wheeling above us. Isn't it beautiful? You can't help noticing that they really liked white marble in the 19th century. Urns, cupids, broken columns, representing a life cut short. Flocks of angels. Full disclosure, I'm one of the resident angels, here through all weather, standing gracefully above my tomb. And from here, I've seen it all. Enormous funeral processions with a thousand people lining the streets. Intimate ones full of sadness. This place is rich in drama. You're about to hear one of my favourite stories from the cemetery. She was a Jewish convict. He was an officer of the First Fleet. The man who led the infamous Rum Rebellion. Come meet Esther and George Johnston. They arrived on Gadigal land in 1788. Some say George was the first to step ashore. Shall we call this a love story? It's a tale of adventure, of risks taken, the overthrow of a government and so much hard work. But for me, it will always be a love story. When George and I sailed into Sydney Harbour, we were part of the First Fleet, bringing convicts to the newly claimed land. He was a fine officer, Lieutenant George Johnston of the Marines. And me, I was a convict with a small baby in my arms. Esther Abrahams, that's me. A young, and some said beautiful, Jewish hatmaker. I was pregnant when I was caught stealing lace from a London shop and tried at the Old Bailey. I could have been hanged, but instead was sentenced to seven years in the colony of New South Wales. My daughter was born in prison while we waited for the ships to sail. There was no white settlement here before us, no British. We saw everything as waiting to be taken and to be made. And take it we did. George Johnston. You probably know me as the man who led the Rum Rebellion, who overthrew Governor Bly and established military rule in the colony. I did what needed to be done. When I was 12 years old, I went to sea as a Marine, and from the beginning, I fought in battles across the world. Badly wounded in action against the French, I returned to England. There, I volunteered to accompany the First Fleet on its long voyage south. It was aboard that miserable convict transport ship that I met Esther. She was very lovely. Lustrous, hazel eyes, pale skin, dark, waving hair. <clears throat> After landing at Sydney Cove, she lived with me as my wife. The new colony was a rough place, but it treated us well and I rose ever higher until I was the ranking officer in the colony, Brevet Major George Johnston. 
There were plenty of opportunities for an officer with large grants of land, free convict labor to work it, and control of all trade, particularly rum, which became our de facto currency. Members of the Corps grew rich. John MacArthur so rich that he could leave the Corps and, with his wife Elizabeth, establish a vast sheep station, exporting merino wool to the world. He was the son of a tailor, you know, but in the colony, MacArthur made a fortune of £20,000. Perhaps Governor Bly did have a point about corruption, but that man had no tact. You don't threaten to charge officers of the New South Wales Corps with treason and expect it to end well. I hear people compare me to Elizabeth MacArthur, and it's true. George and I owned a lot of land, but much less than them. And yes, Elizabeth and I both ran our husband's properties. She, while John was away in Britain, charged with shooting a fellow officer. Me, when George went to defend himself in his first court-martial. Then they were both away for years over that coup with a unseated Bly. But Elizabeth and I never really had much in common. She was a lady. I was an ex-convict. There was no denying it. She was married. Despite seven children and lives shared, George and I were not married for many years. Though we are now. But I have no complaints about my life. It was a good one, and I enjoyed the challenges it brought. Esther gave me seven children and ran our estates during the years I was away in Britain, defending myself against two court-martials. I survived the first, but not the second. That was for leading the 1808 rebellion that overthrew the tyrannical Governor Bly. The Rum Rebellion. Yes, that rebellion. I did not plan it. I did not want it. But this was the only way to keep the peace, and as the ranking officer in the colony, I led the soldiers as we marched on Government House and demanded that Bly step down. You may have heard that Bly was brought in as governor to clean up corruption in the colony. But he was a man who caused a front wherever he went. You will recall that the crew on his ship, the Bounty, mutinied. They set him adrift in a small boat and he was no match for the tactics of MacArthur and the officers. Some of the most powerful men in the colony, they refused to recognize his orders, so iron-fisted Bly threatened to charge them with treason. A foolish act. MacArthur and those officers convinced me that if he jailed them, their soldiers would rise up in arms. The entire colony would be at risk. Seeing no alternative, I took command and staged an orderly mutiny. No riots, no destruction. Rumour has it that when the soldiers were searching Government House, Bly hid under his bed. It's the sort of rumour that a victor enjoys, but I never questioned Bly's courage, only his judgement and his manners. After his overthrow, for six months I was Lieutenant Governor of the Colony, with Esther beside me. Then I was called to Britain to face court-martial alongside John MacArthur. I was away four years. That John MacArthur, 
he got away with it again. George was cashiered, thrown out of the military that had been his life, while it was found that MacArthur could do as he pleased, because he was no longer an officer in the Corps. Tricky to the end. George carried the blame for all. He was away from me for four years that time, facing trial. But we were lucky. They let him return to the colony of free man and keep his property. They could have hanged him. During those years, I ran our farms with the help from our eldest son, George Jr. We traded in grain and cattle and sheep. We prospered. And when my George returned, we finally married and continued to build our lives in the colony. But nine years later, he died. It was such a hard time. Three years before, our dear son George had died in an accident. And now our second son, Robert, who'd spent most of his life fighting in sea battles, came to live with me on the Annandale estate. It was our largest property, and George had left it to me for my lifetime. But it would go to Robert on my death. I believe that Robert couldn't wait. He wanted me gone. When he was seven, we'd sent him to boarding school in Britain so that he would grow up a gentleman, and from school he went to sea. Now he was back, a captain, used to command. But Annandale was my property. After five years living cheek by jail in utter discord, Robert began court proceedings to have me declared insane. I know there were stories going on about my mad behaviour at the time, driving my carriage at breakneck speed at night on the roads into Sydney, drinking too much and associating with my Jewish friends. But you ask them what stories they can tell. I fled to them to escape Robert. They saw the bruises. And if I drank, I was hardly alone in that. This colony was awash with drink. It dulled the pain. But the court wasn't interested in hearing from my witnesses, only Robert's. Those men said my witnesses were unnecessary. I was declared insane but having lucid moments and two trustees were appointed to run my affairs until my death. Robert was one of them. So I left Annandale House, the fine home George and I had created out of nothing, and went to live with our youngest son, David. He gave me a large room in the attic with a good view there I stayed until I died and was laid beside George for the last time. It's still rather wonderful to me that a poor Jewish convict girl should end her life in such a grand vault and beside such a fine man. Did you know he planted the first Norfolk Island pines in the colony? Think of us next time you see one and our love story. Waverly Cemetery, stories of the famous and the forgotten.